0: You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Good evening, Revolution Church. I'm glad you guys are here. Cool. Yeah, we almost got that Baptist good evening. I heard like three of you. That was good. You were there? Thank you. I need some robust men with some, like, baritone voices to hit me back with that. Um, So, cool. Uh, If you're... Is this too loud? Is this good? I feel... Bring it on. Whatever, man. That's your call. Um, So, we are continuing our study of 1 John. Uh, If you're new here, I think I maybe see a couple people. My name is David. Uh, I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Revolution Church. Uh, But what we're doing is we're continuing our study of 1 John. And in doing so, we're seeing what... The Apostle John uh, wants to teach us about the true knowledge of God, and in looking at what he teaches us, we see um, that in showing us sound doctrine, he also pushes really hard uh, the idea that knowledge of God should indeed change how we live, right? So this is something good for me, just like a mantra that I've kind of tried to adopt, is uh, doctrine can't just be an intellectual exercise. Right? Especially for those of us in the Reformed tradition, we tend to do that a little bit. Um, doctrine must be transformative or we have missed the entire point and all you have is cold dead orthodoxy and not a living faith. Right? That's not to smack the, the importance of good theology and sound doctrine, but it must transform our lives. Right? That's what we see in this letter. Um, but So far, we've seen John has given us some tests to measure ourselves against to see whether or not we're actually Christians. Right, and the first test we saw was the first week. Right, the doctrinal test in chapter one, verses one through four. Right, do you have the right Christ? Right, Jesus, the Son of God, the Triune God. Right, both fully God and fully man. Right, those things. Do you have the right Jesus? Uh, we've seen the test of obedience. What we looked at last week in chapter two, verses three through six. Um, where you know, if, you love, if you love Christ, you're going to keep his commandments. And anyone who says that they are in fellowship with God and don't keep his commandments, they're a liar and the truth is not in them. Right? Uh, that if we pass these tests that we can know we're believers. Right? That's John's big thing. If you pass these tests, you can have assurance of your salvation. If you don't pass them, you have no assurance and you might be an unbeliever. Um, but now John has moved into another realm. Right? And this one, for me, is the hardest hitting one for certain. He's going to give us an ethical test. Right, John's going to give us a test of love because the gospel has moral implications on us. Right? It has implications on ethical implications on how we treat other people. Right? So let me just pose a question to you. Do you love people? Do you love people? Do you really truly love others the way that Christ would have you love them? Because that's the big question of this passage. Because love indeed is the greatest implication of the gospel. People who have been loved by God love other people. Right, it's the core of the gospel, um, or at least the core ethical implication of the gospel. Um, but again, John has already made us ask the question: Do you love God? Because again, like last week, we looked at it, to love Him is to obey Him. But now He's moving on to how we interact with other people. And if we fail to love other people, if we fail to keep the manward commandments of God, right? Think the second table of the Ten Commandments, commandments of five through ten, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Because the fourth one's I think about the Sabbath. I'm the worst pastor you've ever had in your entire life. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Ah, roundabout, <laughs> give or take one or two. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, the second table of the law, right, are the manward commandments, the horizontal commandments, how we treat people. If we fail to keep those commandments of God, um, it's really a failure to love God, right? So to fail to love other people is actually a fail to keep the commandments of God. So again, if you're not loving other people, you're screwing up all over the place and you probably aren't a Christian is what John's going to teach us. So my goal this evening is to remind us all Uh, chiefly, to remind us all of the love of God displayed in Christ. You want to know who God is, look at Jesus. And to remind us all that that love has been freely given to us, to remind us how Jesus Christ loves His people perfectly, and that those people who are loved by Christ have received this grace, were naturally transformed by it. That's what I want us to be reminded of. Therefore, because of those things, to refuse to love... And to not strive to show Christ's love to others is ultimately to prove that you yourself has not, have not received the saving love of God. Right, so what I want you to do, don't, don't just assume that you love people. Right, don't go into this saying, yes, I nailed this test already. I know I don't hate anyone. I love everyone. Right, be honest with yourself. and search your heart on this. Think about the people that you fail to love rightly. I want you to see where you sin against others, but then see the unfailing love of God still extended to you, sinner, in spite of your sin, extended to you in Christ crucified. Let that transform you, All right? That's, that's what we're after this evening. So we're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. If you're new here and you don't have a Bible that's easy for you to read, take one of our Bibles home. We've got like three different translations out there because we share a church, right? So it's kind of funny. It's a mixed bag. Take the ESVs. It's the best one. Um, We have chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Let's check it out. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, please open our hearts to this text. Illumine the Scripture to us. Let us see clearly. Do a work of grace here this evening that the believer might see our sin and we might repent and that the unbeliever here might be awestruck with the love of God in Christ and be drawn into You by Your grace. Show us where we fail to love and show us how Christ has loved perfectly that we might obey in gratitude and receive forgiveness. In Christ's name, amen. Alright, so John, like we said in the intro, right, John has been writing about the Christian's obligation to keep the commandments of Jesus, right, last week we looked at that, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. But now he's singling out one commandment in particular, and he says that this commandment is both old and new, which is kind of trippy, but he doesn't tell us what that commandment is, right, but verses 9 through 11 talk about love, right? If anyone if you love your brother, you're in the light. If you hate your brother, you're in darkness even until now, right? You're still in the darkness. So we know that this commandment has something to do with love. Right? And we know that Jesus refers to a commandment. He says a new commandment I give to you, right? John 13:34. He says, "Here's a new commandment, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another." Right, So that's, that's the old command that, that John has in mind. Right, He says, this is the commandment that you've received from the beginning. Right, So this is what he's got in mind. We, again, we infer that because Jesus says it's a new commandment. He talks about love in verses 9, 10, and 11. Right, So the overarching command is to love one another. Um, and I was talking to Nick Sherman about this last night at his engagement party. Say congratulations. Yeah, see? That wasn't even in my notes. I just worked that one in off the cuff for you. Um, Right, but me and and him were talking about, uh, how insane is this, just just to go ahead and start like the gut punches that are going to happen in this sermon as we talk about loving other people, how central to the life of the Christian was loving each other, that in the first century John says, yeah, it's just the old commandment, I don't have to tell you what it is, you just know, you've always known this commandment, just think about that for a second, like is that us? Like, it's just a really convicting question. Is that us? Because it was so central in the preaching of the apostles. It was so central in the life of the early church that he didn't even have to tell them what commandment he was talking about. We have had to deduce what he was talking about as insanity. They loved each other, right? So just uh, to, to be transparent here, I recognize, before we go any further, that this text says brothers, right? He's talking about loving other believers, That's what he means by brothers. Love your brother. Love other believers. But what we're going to do this evening, and this is not me doing violence to the text, we are going to open up this commandment. Right, We're going to extend this one out to loving all people, because the command to love, as we're going to see, indeed extends to all people. And then later in this series, in chapter 3, because John writes in a circle and it drives me insane, he's going to repeat this concept, and then in that chapter we're going to dig deeper into what it means to love fellow Christians and why that's so important if you're going to be a Christian. Um, so we're definitely going to get more specific on that, but this evening we're going to open it up. We're going to talk broadly about loving. Right. So verse 6 of this chapter. John says we must walk like Jesus walked and we're going to see that indeed that walk is a walk of love for people. All right, so, this commandment is old. He says, you've heard it from the beginning. Right, so, this, this ethical implication to love one another as a result of the gospel was part and parcel of the apostles' preaching. Right, this is as old as the gospel itself. This was the first thing that they were taught after they were taught Jesus is Lord, is you love one another as Jesus has loved you. Uh, but in another regard, this commandment is a really old commandment. Uh, if you were a Jewish convert to Christianity, you already know to love each other. Right? Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Right? And just, I want to throw that one out there because a lot of times people like rag on the book of Leviticus and was like, dude, that was a snooze fest. But the command that Jesus gives to love your neighbor as yourself is in Leviticus. Right? So again, people crack me up whenever they try to disregard Leviticus entirely. Anyway, so this love command is an extension of God himself and it's always been around. Um, humanity was created to reflect the nature of God. So indeed this is an archaic commandment, right? Not just, not just old in the sense that they heard this when they first converted to Christianity, but this goes all the way back to the Torah. This goes all the way back to the books of Moses. But what is love? Go on. Yeah, Stephen, I was looking at you. Will Ferrell ruined that for me. Chris Kattan, anyway, whatever. What is love, right? It ruins so many sermons about love. Um, Our culture gets love wrong, period. Our culture has no idea of what actual love is. If you ask someone on the street, they're going to tell you it's just that feeling that you get, right? Which is just a pagan concept, I might add. Like Cupid hits you with his bow and you just can't help it. You just love that person. Yeah, that's pagan. That's not Christian. That's not in the Bible. Our culture makes love all about emotion and how you feel and says that love is completely uncontrollable. You just love who you love and if you don't love them, you don't or that you can fall out of love with people. That's trash. That's not biblical. Love is a verb, which again has become a cliche, but whatever, right? Love is a verb, right? John 3.16, the most famous uh, verse in the whole Bible, for God so loved the world, He sinned, right? He did something because He loved. Love is primarily an action. It's, It's not a mere sentiment or feeling towards people, right? Although love often will come with Sentiment and feeling for somebody. Love is primarily an action. Uh, and I, I was reading a commentary, and they, they gave this definition for love, and I thought it was really good. Um, love is a life-enhancing action done for someone. Like that, that nail on the head, right? That's beautiful. A life-enhancing action done for someone. So, to love each other, or to love your neighbor, is to actively do good for others is to positively add to their life as you're able and, and, and as you can, to care for them, to have compassion on them, and act out of that compassion that you have toward them. Right? And, and again, I know this is probably old news for a lot of you, but we need to commit this concept to memory if we're going to keep this commandment. It's not an option to say, I don't feel. No, you're commanded to love. You're not commanded to feel anyway. Right? You're commanded to positively love people. So that's, this is an old command. To love, right? But John also says that this old command is also new, which tripped me up for a couple days studying this. How in the world, in what regard is this command also new? Well, he opens that up in the middle of verse eight. He says that the command is truly new, right? Whenever he says which is true, he's not referring to the truthfulness of the command. He's referring to that it is truly new. Right? So the command is truly new in Christ, right? In him. And what he means by that is that Jesus gave the command to love a richer and deeper meaning than it had ever seen before. This is beautiful stuff right here. So I got, I got three ways that I, that I can see that Jesus made this old command new, just in himself, right? The, the emphasis is the first one. The emphasis that Jesus placed on love completely turned the command upside down, right? Just it opened it up. Uh, Matthew twenty two thirty six 36 through 40. Teacher, which is, the great command, uh, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Right? So Jesus puts a huge emphasis on love. You want to you keep the commands of God? Love. You're either loving God or you're loving other people. And Paul expounds on the second command. Right To love other people. In Romans 13, verses 8-10, through 10, Paul says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Right? So, what he's saying there, he's not saying that that fulfills every single law that there is, right? But it fulfills all of the man to man, the manward horizontal law. It's fulfilled when we love. Because if you love, you don't harm other people. You do good for them and you do good to them. So, again, Jesus places a great emphasis on love. He says, This is the fulfillment of all law to love. But it's also new because of the extent that Jesus commands we love others. Right? And this one hurts. Right? Think, think about, okay, so he, so he opens it up yet again. You guys remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Luke chapter 10, go home and read it again. It's a good one, right? The Samaritan is supposed to be the bad guy, according to the Jews, uh, but the Samaritan ends up being the hero of the story because he cares for someone who hates him, right? Because the Samaritan cares for a Jew. Jews and Samaritans get, didn't get along. But the Samaritan ends up being the hero because he loves someone who is his enemy, Quite literally, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Which sounds awesome. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Straight up. So there it is, black and white out of the mouth of Christ. Not just veiled in a parable. He's saying, You love your enemies. So he's throwing this out. So the extent that Jesus says we are to love... If Jesus tells us to love our enemies, the people who hate our guts, and we're not particularly fond of either, then naturally the, the command to love extends to everyone. Whether it's a friend, an enemy, or a stranger, it doesn't matter. So the extent of this command to love goes out to every single person that you cross paths with. Anyone you see, anyone you speak with, all people that come across your path, anyone you have any, even the smallest connection to, you are to love them. It's an all-encompassing love to, or command to love all People, regardless of who they are or what they've done. Right? But then the biggest one to me, or the third one that I got, the, the biggest way that Jesus makes this command new is in the quality with which we are to love. In John thirteen thirty four, he says, love one another as I have loved you. That, that is a tall order. As I have loved you, you love each other. That tells me that this command to love is manifested truly in Jesus Christ. He is the definition of perfect love. It is personified in Him, in His obedience to this law. We see what real love looks like. Never before in all of history had love been so truly displayed towards men until Christ took on flesh to show us what that looks like. You know, John 13, the context that Jesus actually gives the new command to love one another, um, it actually gives us a beautiful picture of Christ's love towards other people, right? That's the passage you guys remember if you grew up Christian Baptist. uh, They believe you should wash each other's feet, which is disgusting, Um, (laughs) right? Seriously, it was weird, man. It was a weird time. Um, But John 13, we see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, right? And and just so you know, to, to wash someone's feet was the lowest possible slave job. It wasn't a job you just gave to slaves. It was a job that you gave to the slave on the lowest part of the totem pole, The slave of slaves. Wash people's feet. And Jesus girds himself with with a cloth, right, with a towel around his waist, like a slave would have dressed, and washes the feet of his disciples. Even Judas got his feet washed. Jesus Christ knew he was getting ready to be sold out for thirty pieces of silver and he washed his feet anyway. So that just sets the stage for this commandment. And then he says, As I have loved you, you love one another. But let's go a little bit deeper. How did Jesus love his disciples? Well, First, in his condescension. Think of these towards you as well. In his condescension. I know that has uh, some negative connotations. Uh, Condescend means to literally come down. So that's what we're talking about whenever we talk about the condescension of Christ. Whenever Christ became a man or his incarnation would have probably been a better word that I just thought of now that I should have used. So there it is on the slide because I'm stupid. Um, But in Christ's condescension... Right Him becoming man, he, he loved, right? So uh, Philippians chapter two, right? The, the Christ hymn found in that chapter, Jesus Christ gave up his riches in heaven and poured himself out and became a human being. Like just think about that for a minute. It is, we, we can't fathom that. The king of glory becomes a human being. God Himself got down in the dirt with humanity in order to fully love us and show us what love looks like. So the one who is truly above all things willingly humbled Himself and became a servant to all men. That's love. He, he was truly, like He could have been the one to look, and wouldn't have even been smugly, but to look down and say, yeah, I'm not doing that because I'm better than them and Christ condescended to our level in order to love us. Christ also, and this was big for me to think about this week, so as men, we tend to fall into this one a lot. Christ inconvenienced himself for his disciples. Yeah, this one hurts. Christ inconvenienced himself. And as a man, so hear me on this, this is a bit of conjecture, um, so take this as you will. Uh, call me a heretic if you want. Uh, as a man, I'm sure that Jesus wanted some free time to himself. All human beings want free time. We all get tired. We want to do what we want to do. But Christ consistently gave that up freely in order to do good for His disciples. He was always with them. He was always amongst the crowds. He was always... And it would have been frustrating all the time. You're always on. And Jesus inconvenienced Himself for them. Furthermore, He allowed Himself to be tired for the good of other people. And I know that that is some holy ground for us, right? Like, I need rest. I need my free time. And Jesus says, yeah, I would like that stuff, but my will is to do the will of my Father. My, my food and my drink is to do what pleases God. So I'm willing to be tired and willing to inconvenience myself for other people. Furthermore, Christ quite literally fed his disciples, right? The miracle, right? The fish and bread. He multiplied them. He literally fed them. So I look at that, and I see Jesus physically, tangibly met the needs of his people, He taught them, right? He discipled His disciples, which is a funny statement, right? He taught His disciples, which means He took the time to sit down with the twelve who were unlettered and unstudied men. They were fishermen. They didn't know much about anything whenever it came to theology, not much about anything about God except from, again, what they had gleaned from growing up. But Jesus took time to sit down with them over and over and over and over again and tell them what they need to know. And if you read the Gospels, you can see that the disciples, the twelve, would have been the most frustrating human beings in the world. Right? Jesus washes their feet, and then they start to argue about who is the greatest. Right? Like, how stupid are these people? And yet He continues to teach them. He loves them. Even when it's frustrating, they just didn't get it. He kept teaching them. And then lastly, and most importantly, Christ suffered for His people. His death for sinners. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Christ suffered for His people. He suffered the burning, white-hot wrath of God in place of His people in order to save them. The pain of God's burning hatred of sin is more than we can possibly imagine. And yet Christ hating the cross, took it gladly in order to save us. He, he spared no expense. He spared nothing of Himself for the sake of others. There was no sacrifice too great for Jesus. That's the greatest expression of love. We could not ask too much of Him. He was willing to do everything on our behalf because He loved us. So the command to love others as Christ has loved us is nothing less than a call to self-sacrificial, unwavering, never-ending servant love. That's the commandment. That's how it's new in Christ. But John says that this commandment is also new in us. It's also new in the believer. And he says that because we have been transformed by Christ's love given to us. Right? This is what we talk about being born again all the time. We've been born again by the love of God in Christ. The Holy Spirit has brought us from death to life. And in doing that, He's given us new desires. He's given us a new nature. He's given us a new capacity to love like Jesus. Right? So this commandment is new in us. Because never before until we were born again did we have the ability to love in this dimension. We completely lack the ability. We, we lack the desire. Right, But it's new in us. This is part of what it means to be a new creation in Christ. Right, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Like Galatians chapter 5. What's the first one? Love. Okay? The primary one would be love. Again, given a new dimension, we now have the desire and the spiritual ability to love like this. Though we're going to do it imperfectly because no one loves like Jesus except Jesus. We're going to strive to do it. We're, we, we're, we're able now in some measure to keep this. Because the love of Jesus has began to drive the darkness out of us. Right? He says this, this command is new because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Right? The darkness through the work of the Holy Spirit bringing us from death to life is driving the darkness out of us because He has brought us into the kingdom of the light of the love of Christ. It's shining and we're reflecting it as we keep the command. So it's new in a lot of different ways. But let me just lay something down for you guys, right? So in light of just those couple of verses that we've looked at, let me lay this down. please hear me on this, as far as I can tell. As far as I can tell. So maybe there's some pushback for this. But Scripture tells us that the one distinguishing mark of the believer is love for people. Like the supreme mark of the believer. The biggest distinguishing mark of the believer is our love for other people. Now hear me on this. I am not saying that kind people are automatically saved because they do good works to other people. My Bible is is crystal clear, and I hope that I've been crystal clear for the last four years about this. Faith in Christ is what saves. Furthermore, it's Christ that saves people. It's His fulfilling of the law. It's His propitiating atonement sacrifice on the cross Right? It's that that saves. Receiving that by faith is the only way that we're going to avoid the wrath of God. Not good works and not loving other people. Because whatever is not done in faith is sin, according to Paul in chapter 15 of Romans. Right? So no one is saved just by doing good works to other people. I just want to make that clear. But Jesus says this, John thirteen thirty five. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Right, so, notwithstanding that love doesn't save people, Christ saves people, we still see that the world will know who we belong to by how we love people. So, again, loving others is huge, it's the biggest thing. Right? I, I You guys know I love doctrine, right? Like, I'm reading a systematic theology by Louis Burkhardt for fun right now because I seriously don't know how to have fun anymore. Um, Right? I love doctrine. I love I'm I am I'm gonna get a sixteen eighty nine tattoo on me before I die. Right? Notwithstanding that, loving others is bigger than studying theology. Furthermore, if you actually study theology rightly, it will lead you to love others. But loving other people is bigger than reformed theology, though theology is intensely important. And this one might get me in trouble. Loving other people is bigger than merely abstaining from sinful activities. Although that's incredibly important. Right? Obeying the negative commandments of God where he says, don't do this. That's really important. But I would argue the case that it's even bigger that you love other people. Because if you actually love other people, you won't sin against them. That's the back six of the law. This is the biggest one. So do you love people? Do you love people? And I mean really love them. Right? And I don't mean this, this is, this is interesting. I don't mean this, do, that, that we do good for others because it's, quote, the right thing to do. Right? Although it is the right thing to do. But I'm not talking about, I, I just do this because I have to. This is the right thing to do. Rather, I mean, I care for others because I love them because Christ has loved me. That's way different. It's way different than, well, it's just the right thing to do, so I gave the guy a lift. Did you give him a lift because you love him? Because if you didn't, you're not keeping the commandment. So I'm not talking about a mere moral obligation, though it is that. Because we do a ton of things out of moral obligation. I mean love. Where you actually care for someone else. And it's not just a white-knuckled force. It just flows out of us because we, we've been loved by Christ. To really love others and care for them because we look at them and we see ourselves in them. And when I say that, I mean we see the need for love in them as we needed from Christ and now we seek to show them the love that Christ has given us. That's what I mean. Do you love people? I know a lot of people in this church love to study the Word. And a lot of you are like me and you love to study theology, but, it, but we often don't show this love to others just call it what it is I will talk to you all day long about the hypostatic union and the doctrines of the Trinity but do I love people and it is an absolute travesty that those of us who know the word the best and see the love of God most clearly in the scriptures fail to show the love of Christ the most just laying that out there and I am chief of sinners on this but like I said, love for others is to be the distinguishing mark. All right, and that's why John says this in, in verse 9, to look at it again. So since it's supposed to be the distinguishing mark, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. He's saying we cannot hate people and claim to know Jesus. It is completely inconsistent. We cannot, quote, get the gospel and not love others. Now I know what you're starting to think. Because maybe you're thinking what I thought before I started studying this text. I'm good, right? I don't hate no one. Um, Let's talk about hate for a minute. Um, What does it mean to hate somebody? I think that there are two ways we can look at hate. Uh, The first one is cultural hate. And uh, what I mean, I don't mean like you hate someone's culture, I mean like what I mean by that is like how our culture would define hate. Um, Generally speaking, uh, hate, we think of, I want them to die. Right? Like, I, I quite literally hope that they die, and I want all kinds of bad things to happen to them. I want them to lose their job, and I want their marriage to go down the toilet, and I want them to be unhappy for the rest of their days, and I hope that they're miserable. Right, That's usually what we think of whenever we think of hate. But that's not biblical hatred. I, I would argue from the scriptures, hating someone is not actively seeking their good. That's how I would define hate, according to the scripture. To not actively seek the good of someone else. To not love them, to not care for them, to have zero compassion for someone is to hate them. There is no middle ground whatsoever between hate and love. John does not allow for it. He says you either love them and you show it or you hate them. There is no middle ground. Like, there is no apathy for John. That's, what, that's what's insane to me about looking at this. You either love someone or you hate them without any middle ground. So biblical hatred can manifest itself in a lot of ways, just real quick. It can manifest itself in apathy. Again, you're in contact with someone and you feel like you can just ignore them. And you don't care what's going on in their life. You don't care to alleviate their hardship. You just you literally just don't care. That is hatred. You think you can ignore somebody. Another one's disdain. Right, and I would look at it this way: where you're constantly irritated with people. Right, that's I seriously, I, that's me sometimes. You're constantly irritated with people, and you as soon as as soon as they come near you, it's like roll your eyes. Right, maybe not literally, but like in your heart, like the eyes of your heart. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought about Ephesians. That was goofy. Um, anyway. You're rolling eyes on the inside and you can't stand to be around them. Looking down at them with disdain. Or another one, looking down on someone. Viewing someone that they, that, as if they are not worth your time to get involved. For whatever reason. Maybe it's, well, they have too many problems, so it's really not worth my time. Because if we get over one problem, there's just going to be 17 more things that we need to work through. And again, that's that's, that's ridiculous amount of arrogance there. Again, Christ in his condescension actually came down, and yet we would stand up and look down on another. makes no sense. Or you can hate someone by counting them as an enemy, which is where cultural hatred would actually be applicable here. I hate them. For whatever the reason is. Where you actually just hate them as as we would normally define the word hate. But I'll wager this. Everyone in this room hates someone or some group in one of those ways. Well, let's be honest with be honest here everyone in this room hates someone or some group in some way maybe it's a coworker maybe it's drug addicts like a group right like drug addicts maybe it's a family member or your spouse or a particular church or particular church leaders maybe it's welfare recipients Maybe it's a denomination within legitimate Christianity, right? Where you don't just hate the theology, which is totally acceptable. Where, but you hate the people who adhere to that theology. Maybe it's someone who wronged you or someone who wronged someone that you love. Maybe it's needy people that you can't stand. I'm not even talking about the poor. I mean, someone who just seems like they always need to talk to you. Maybe you hate people like that. The list could go on and on and on and on and on here. But regardless of who they are, or what they've done, or what they're currently doing, or what offense that they've committed against you, our response as Christians is to love them. Period. To pray for them. And sometimes that's all that you can do, is to pray for someone, because there's no way for you to actually help them, but to care enough that you take, take them before the throne of God and intercede on their behalf to seek to do some kindness to them, to care about them, to seek their good. We must love them regardless. We continue to love them because we were unlovable and God loved us in Christ. One of my favorite passages, Romans 5, 6-8, through 8, For while we were still weak, meaning sinful and wicked, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. You might die for a really good person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If that doesn't hit you, I don't know what to tell you. Think about who you actually are. Who you were before Christ picked you up out of the mud and breathed life into you when you were an unlovable, blaspheming, adulterous, lying, whatever whatever it was that you were. Think about who you were before He did that to you. How could you not love someone else? And furthermore, think about where you are now. We all continue to be unlovable. We sin. We continue to sin against this God who has loved us in Christ. And He continues to love us. Absolutely continues to love us. I am convinced, and I'm not saying that I'm here yet, so I'm not pointing the finger. I'm I'm preaching to myself. I think that once we really see ourselves as needy, unlovable sinners, and in spite of that, beloved by God in Christ, we will have no option but to love all people at all times. Period. But John goes on after verse 9, and he ends this passage with some really good common sense. He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So here, just so you know, in the Bible, to stumble is to sin. Right? Almost, I, I wager every time, but there may be an exception, but almost every time, to stumble is to sin. And what John is saying, this is common sense. He said, if you love one another, if you love people, you'll never sin against them. right?" Like Paul argued in Romans 13. right? Because you don't harm people that you love. You just don't do it. You won't sin against someone that you love. So if we actually love one another, what he's arguing yet again, John does this a lot. He'll argue the same thing in different ways. If we love people, we will keep all of God's positive commandments to care and do for the people around us. But conversely, if we hate, we will stumble. He said you're like a blind person in the dark. Right? Just continuously sinning against one another if you don't love each other. If we don't love, we're always sinning. And living in that darkness... Because hatred blinds us. Living in that darkness, living in that blindness, what it does is it proves that we have not received the light of God's love in Christ. That blindness that comes from hatred proves that you're spiritually blind. And that darkness will eventually lead to hell and the condemnation of God because, again, it proves that you have not come to know God in Christ. So we cannot continue in hatred if we've truly received the love of Christ because those loved by God love other people. I know I'm a broken record up here, but this is what John's getting at over and over and over again. So what are we to do with this? Application time, what are we to do with this? The first one is this. It's almost the first point of every sermon. Repent. Repent of your hatred, whatever the form it is. Don't lie and say, well, I just didn't really know that person. Yeah, you knew that person. You were just being apathetic toward them. You didn't care that someone in their family passed away because you are being cold-hearted toward them and your heart should have broke for them. Right? You should have reached out to them. Because if that was happening to your spouse or your sister or your mother, you would be crushed for them and reach out to them and love them. You see what I'm saying? You didn't love them, so you showed apathy. Repent of your hatred, whatever the form that it is. Hate your sin. And see the fact that you have refused to live like your God and King. You've refused to love like Christ. You've denied the image of God in other people. You've absolutely disrespected the image of God in other people. People have inherent dignity and worth. and, And though there's nothing in our humanity that deserves love, the image of God does deserve to be loved. We've refused to do that. Repent of those things. See the ugliness and unloveliness of hatred for what it really is and then turn to Christ by faith and receive forgiveness receive love and in doing so you will begin to see the love of God more clearly for you that it's still given to you a sinner and that it is unending and that should fuel this second piece so if we've repented and we've received this free love and free grace from God even though we have sinned against Him if we get that we will love each other that's the second thing I would tell you to do, love one another. Great, David, that's super open-ended, right? What, what are we supposed to do, right? If you're thinking like me, love one another. What does that mean? It could be something huge. It could be starting a ministry. I don't know. It could be starting a ministry. It could be donating a lot of money to some ministry out there. It could be getting a new job in order to serve others more actively, could be something huge. could be something that completely shakes your life. But it also, and most, most often, could be a lot smaller than that. Right, so some of these might sound cheesy to you, but I really mean it. You don't know what it means to people whenever you do these things. A hug can be loving somebody. It's reaching out to them and letting them know that you care. Being a listening ear for someone. Giving them a phone call. Shooting them an email. Sitting down with someone for a coffee. No, if you know that someone's in financial need, paying a bill for them, going to a visit to someone's house. Crying with someone who is mourning. Praying for your enemies is a form of love. Refusing to gossip about people that you don't like. Refusing to laugh at someone else's misfortune is actually loving. Graciously rebuking someone who is in sin is loving. Discipling someone is loving. Ending a feud with someone that you have not gotten along with in a long time is loving them. Just being a patient friend to someone who doesn't have many friends is loving them. Love can take many forms and it can look like a lot of things, but it is always going to be a self-sacrificial action that seeks the good of someone else. In short, love is always going to look like Jesus. It's always going to reflect some aspect of Him. So, I'll leave you guys with this. Because I want to leave you guys with some hope, too. Because that's a tall order. Love people like Christ. Well, that's awesome because I suck at that. Right? I want to leave you guys with some hope. If this commandment to love has beaten you down as it has done to me this week, I want you to remember last week's sermon. Right, are you striving to love others? Are you striving to love like Jesus? Are you by faith attempting this? Because if so, keep pushing on. Because God is gracious towards His people in the fact that you're striving to love one another like this. The fact that you see the sin in your life and you are now repenting of that sin proves that you belong to Him and He will not abandon you. You do indeed belong to Him. If this command has beaten you down, keep striving. No one is going to perfectly love like Jesus. We are sinners and when you sin against others and fail to love, I want you to know, like Paul talks about in Romans 5 and 6, God has more grace than you have sin. He has more love for you than you have sin. Because Christ has loved you with an unending, unfailing love. So I want you guys to all reflect, myself included, reflect on that love of God in Christ and be transformed. Because like John says, the kingdom of darkness and hatred is passing away. And the love of Christ is shining. So go and reflect that light as citizens of his kingdom of love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. For sending Christ to die for wretches. For forgiving us though we sin and sin and sin. Though we are unlovable and unloving toward other people. Would you just give us grace and grace and grace and grace. Please help us to love the way Christ is loved. Show us our sin. Humble us. Let your law break us and show us what's wrong with us. But also show us what's right with Christ. God, give us a yearning to love. Give us compassion. Where Jesus looked at people and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd and his heart broke for them. God, let us look at people and say they don't know Christ or maybe they do know Christ. We love them just as much regardless. Mold us into the image of your son. In Jesus' name, amen.